Kyle. And welcome back to the Healing Circle podcast. Yay, yay. Today we have an amazing guest. We are so excited about this. Yeah, this is going to be good. It's going to be, without a doubt, the best episode that we have had. We have Louise Suggs with us. Louise, can you share a little bit about yourself, give your background, your bio, share with our audience who you are? Yeah, so my name is Louise Suggs, and I own Bright Cares PLLC, which is a counseling practice. I'm a, basically practice by myself, and I am... I was a licensed professional counselor, but now I am a licensed mental health counselor because they changed the letters for us in North Carolina. It's yeah. really long now. Really long. Um, and I'm also, I'm also an ASEC certified sex therapist and I'm a believer and I am a mom of one amazing little boy who's 11 and the husband of Walter. Oh, my oh, sorry, not the husband of Walter. That is all right. My husband's name is Walter. Hopefully you can edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. No, they, they got it. Yeah, I they're make used to much worse. Much worse. <laughs> much worse. So um, for those of you guys who've been listening, we got you guys to ask us a couple of questions. We got our audience to ask a couple questions. And um, we're really excited. All these questions pertain to faith, sex, and mental health. And so we're going to jump straight into the questions. Um, this is going to be a two-part thing. So we're in part one right now. And so we're just going to start with these questions, if it's okay with you, Louise. Perfectly fine. Let's do it. Okay. So the first question is, can you tell us um, what is sex therapy and what isn't sex therapy? Okay. So sex therapy is talk therapy. So just like any other type of therapy, you would go and see a therapist. If it's an individual, you might talk about some of your stressors. You may talk about anxiety. You may even talk about even deeper things like personality disorders and how to cope with those things or maybe cope through life things. So the same thing applies with sex therapy. It's talk therapy, but it's more around intimacy, emotional intimacy, physical intimacy. Um, it is also talk around uh, physical pain that sometimes people have or any type of sexual dysfunction. So I focus on really trying to help my clients grow in that area. And for some of them, especially Christian couples that come, sometimes they are there and they don't know how to get that conversation started. So yeah. I help them learn how to talk to each other about it. So eventually they can fire me and they can go do their own work. Yeah. Um, so that's the goal, right? I don't want to have to be uh, as a, a part of that intimate life forever. I want them to learn whatever skills they need to learn so that they can go on and do it themselves. What it is not. Uh, um, themselves. <laughs> I see what you did there. Oh, well, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I did that. He, you said go home and do it themselves. And I, I'm no I'm, pun I'm, intended. Go home and do it themselves. Right, exactly. Um, the other part is what it is not. So, what it is not is I do not participate with anyone. If we're doing telehealth, I'm not watching. That's my <laughs> way. No change. Um, <laughs> I have been asked that question before in a church. They said, well, don't the sex therapists participate? No, not this one. Some of them, <laughs> but not me. 
Um, I am very married to Walter and I'm not interested in watching, participating or being a part of it. We can talk about it afterwards and we can talk about it before and process through your feelings around it, but I'm not going to be there in the midst of it. Mm, yes. Gotcha. There, so are jobs, <laughs> there are jobs that do that, right? So there are sex coaches and they will Skype or be on the phone with you and they'll coach you through an act. That is not what I do. There are what they call sex surrogates, and there's an international certifying board that actually certifies people to actually participate with you to help you learn how to be better at this. Um, and, and it's an international board that actually does it. Um, that is also not what I do. So <laughs> not what I do. Um, I we truly do talk therapy. <laughs> wow. Wow. A sex surrogate. <laughs> Listen, it, wow. There's a reason that job did not come up on career day. Yes. In middle school. There's a reason why it's not listed on Indeed. Okay. Yeah. Because whoa. Um. That's a okay. lot. Yeah, and I w I'm actually a little confused. But I'm like, wow, that to paid to mit. <clears throat> All right, y'all, that's our time today. Thank you so much for <laughs> Yeah, episode over, right? We just blew everybody's mind. Um, wow. But there are actually people who seek these people out, you know? Um, it's not something that we, it's not legalized in North Carolina, but there are places across the world that where this is very legal. Um, so you may have someone who has a pain disorder, and I'm by no means condoning this because I don't believe in it, but I know people who, who do, yeah. And you may have someone with a pain disorder and they're really anxious because they've overcome the pain disorder, but their body's response is to still be feeling like they're going to, they're anticipating the pain. Yeah. And so they may want to hire a surrogate to do it with them first before they go do it with their partner. Not what I would condone. And, um, my, uh, my Bible doesn't uh, condone that either. So I don't know. Maybe somebody's does, but not mine. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, we on the same page, Kyle, you, okay, good. you could never, you could never. I'm assuming Walter is in the room. Like, I wish you would. <laughs> <laughs> He's just shaking his head. That is too funny. So um, one of the first questions I wanted to get into, I kind of want to jump right into the questions that, to me are like the most burning questions. Um, I would love for you to talk a little bit about vaginismus, pain during sex for women, physical discomfort for women, um, mostly because I feel like a lot of it, talking about it is taboo. There's kind of this idea that if you're a woman and then you may not enjoy having sex or may not enjoy having sex as much as your partner, it's because of an emotional thing or you don't feel connected, but there are physical things that affect women, their desire and their pleasure in having sex. Mm -hmm. So, yes, yeah, so there's quite a few um, sexual pain disorders for women. And you're right. It's not very talked about. Um, it's been a little more in the media in probably the past five or 10 years. Um, we've heard the term vaginismus out there. Um, I think there have been some talk shows that may have talked about it some years ago, but it's not something you would call up your friend and say, hey, girl, you know, I was with my husband and I was in excruciating pain. It felt like a knife. 
Yeah. Um, and it's very embarrassing too for a lot of those women because they don't know what to do and there's really no one to call about it. Yeah. And there's also this thing in some people's mind, just keep doing it and it'll loosen up. It'll get better. It'll feel better. And that's not the case for a lot of women. There actually are those genitopain disorders is what we call them now in a DSM-5 that do really impact a woman's ability to be, to be able to have penetrative sex. It is really important for any listener that is out there right now, if you are experiencing that type of pain, I encourage you, I urge you, I beg you to go see a doctor who specializes in women with pain. Mm. Um, Just because with the right diagnosis, there is help. Mm. What does that help look like? So for some women, that may look like an estrogen cream that could be testosterone treatment. So some type of hormone treatment. For some of them, it could be pelvic floor physical therapy. Um, It could be the use of dilators and a pelvic floor physical therapist would teach you how to use those things and what things may be useful for you. So that's also not a part of my work, but it is my job to try to refer out to those people who can help those women get the right diagnosis in place, as well as help them with their treatment plan to, you know, put them in the hands of the right person who can help them with their pelvic floor if that's what they need. Mm. But the biggest thing is it's not just in your head. And so my heart aches for all of the women who have come to see me and they've been to doctors or their husbands don't understand or their friends don't understand and they say it's all in their heads and it's not. And then they go and they see a doctor who actually specializes in sexual pain And then that person says to them, hey, with a Q-tip test, in five minutes, they've been diagnosed with something. And these are not sexually transmitted infections either. These aren't STIs, but this could be muscular. It could be dealing with tissue. It could be a lack of having hormones. Um, Even some women with severe allergies and they take a decongestant, sometimes it can dry up that area. And because it's so dry, It could also produce some pain. So just because you are having pain doesn't mean you have a diagnosis. It could be a medication that you're taking as well. So it's really important to, you know, advocate, be an advocate for your health and check it out because it's worth it. So this isn't always something that you're born with, that you could develop this. You could have pain-free sex till you were 35 and 36, all of a sudden things shift. That's right. So it could be premenopausal. Um, you you could be in menopause. You could be postmenopausal. You could have hormone changes in your body without any of it, even getting to that age where you know you're thinking about menopause, and it could really impact. It could really impact how your body is reacting in those experiences. Wow. So for someone who may have a pain disorder. Um, rather for a woman who's having a pain disorder, um, having like estrogen creams, testosterone creams, that can literally affect the pain in sex? Or would is this something that would help with someone who struggles with having orgasms as well? Or is that a different like section of, of sexual care? So it kind of depends on what type of orgasm you're talking about. 
So if you're talking Can about you tell us what types of orgasms there are. Please share. <laughs> Inquiring so minds would love to know. There's just not much space for people to ask these questions. And so I'm trying I to know, and I love it. I love it. Invite me to your churches. Invite me to your churches. Invite me to your women's groups. Like yeah, I would yeah. love to have those conversations. I've spoken in plenty of churches because I am a Christian. Yeah. And, you know, I believe what the Bible says about sexuality. And a lot of people can't mix those two together, but the Bible mixes those two things together. I don't care if you skip over the Song of Solomon, it's still there. Why do people do that? I'm like, I don't know. Saying? She says some nasty stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the original Cardi B. The, the original WAP was in Songs of Solomon. <laughs> yes, there's a lot going on in Song of Solomon. Um... But two different types of orgasms. So you have, for women, so you have a clitoral orgasm and you have a vaginal orgasm. So for the vaginal orgasm, in order to achieve that, you know, a lot of times you would have to be dealing with some type of penetration or that area on the outside would have to feel good. If when you put your finger on it, it hurts, I doubt you're going to really be thinking about an orgasm. You're going to be thinking more about pain. Yeah. Um, for the clitoral orgasm, if your body's not responding to that stimuli, so meaning you're not getting engorged and things are starting to swell down there, then you may not be able to even find the clitoris to be able to, you know, stimulate that to even achieve an orgasm. So those are all things that, you know, hormones can definitely impact that. Mm. What are some reasons that people may not be able to reach orgasm or reach it, um, I don't even know if quickly is an appropriate word. Consistently. consistently yeah. To reach orgasm consistently. So uh, quite a few things could impact that. Number one, your brain. Yeah. So the clitoris goes straight to the pleasure center of the brain. So if your head is somewhere else, this is a conversation I have with a lot of women. Like I was thinking about what my kids were doing because they were out in the living room at the time. And so it took me a whole hour. Well, your head was there. Yeah. Your head was not in the room. Your head was not really allowing your body to feel what it's trying to feel. Mm. So sometimes it's an it's your head that holds you back. Um, also, the anticipation of an orgasm can cause you not to have an orgasm. Like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, trying to hurry up and get there mm -hmm. instead of just being in the moment and allowing your body to feel the sensations. If you allow your body to feel the sensations, guess what? It'll probably happen a lot quicker. Yeah. Now, if there's not enough blood flow in that area, this is going more to the physiology of it. If there's not enough blood flow down there, then there could be a problem achieving orgasm. If your nerves down in that area have been damaged, so you may have someone who is a is an avid biker or whatever, and they're riding those bikes all the time in that seat, it kind of hits that place. And yeah. if you do that so long, after a while, your, your skin is not as sensitive as it once was. And mm -hmm. so sometimes we'll have people who they have a lack of sensation in that area. If you've had any type of chemotherapy or radiation in that area, that can sometimes also kill the nerves there. Then if you, you know, have a, just a basic biology lesson, a lot of clitorises, they have the hood on them. Some people, the hood is pulled way back and it's more pronounced. And then for some people, it's very covered. And so if it's very covered and you can't really get to it, then 
you know, they're going to have a little harder time trying to have a clitoral orgasm. And so they have clitoral ultrasounds. You and I were talking about that just yeah. a little while ago, right? So, so that's fascinating. I know. It's, it's so cool it's what, what we're doing now. Clitoral ultra, ultrasound. So they would actually just look for the blood flow to see how well the blood is actually flowing to that area. Mm-hmm. And so if there's blockages or maybe if... Um, it, the blood isn't flowing because maybe the veins or whatever. I, I'm not a doctor, but I'm just going to put it out there. My best guess that the veins may be a little too small. And so the blood isn't flowing as well. Then, yeah, you're going to have some problems achieving orgasm. Wow. And the reason why, obviously, we have you and are asking all these questions, because as Christians, as women, as a woman, from my perspective, I'm not talking about from Kyle's, it's often like over over mystified it's like oh well you know like there's no solution beyond prayer fasting and asking god to move on your behalf <laughs> you know there's no solution other than you just need to you need to relax and stop mm-hmm. being so stressed out and i think that produces that lack of knowledge produces so much shame for women mm-hmm. who want to enjoy sex who feel like sex is a part of the promise that god has given them in marriage and yet they can't fully enjoy it because of things that may be physiological and I think when we talk about it like it's always like this emotional um spiritual mystical thing it almost feels like like a personal indictment like dang maybe I'm just not having good sex because I don't deserve it (laughs) you know (laughs) like maybe I sinned and and I really need the Lord to like you know maybe I need to repent of something and God's gonna to open me up and now feel, you know, I'll be able to enjoy sex or, or even worse. I know I've heard this. And to be honest, I've felt this before. Like maybe this is a punishment for me being sexually active before marriage. Right. right. Maybe this is, you know, like, I know I live my life BC, but Jesus, like maybe you're holding on to this grudge. And so this information is so valuable because it's a reminder that like sometimes sin in the world looks like we need to go to a doctor, (laughs) you know, Well, I mean, the way I put it to a lot of uh, Christians that come to see me, and of course I see people who aren't Christian, right? But when they ask me, I say, well, Jesus rolled with a physician. Like, he was one of his boys. Like, let us not forget Luke. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so when we think about that, then shouldn't we do the same Um, and, and be an advocate for our health and you know, God is really about, a, he, he is a God of healing. Yeah. And so even the most difficult cases that I've seen, I have a lot of hope in those situations. And the past that someone brings with them, I just say, well, you know, you're a Christian and you're saying that the reason why you're in my office, the reason why you are having this pain, the reason why you're suffering and having to go to a doctor right now is because of some sexual sin that you feel like you're bringing in here. You're bringing this baggage in here. And then they say, yes, you know, I deserve to be punished for the rest of my life. And I, I question them about that. And I say, okay, well, the sin that you committed, you know, in that situation, how long is your sentence? What's your sentence? Because when you do something wrong, if I go out here and I rob a bank or something, they're going to give me a sentence. There's a time in which I am going to lock my, I'm going to be locked up for what I did. Yeah. And then at some point, there's going to be a release date. Yeah. So are we saying that the sexual sin that you did in your past 
whatever it is, I don't even care what it is, that you were supposed to have a life sentence for that. Mm -hmm. And then I literally tell them, you have the keys. You have the keys to the door of the jail. Bishop Louise. What's their sentence? Yeah. So decide today. Yeah. Here we are in front of the judge. Decide today. How long are you going to keep yourself locked up? Yeah. Yeah. In all of the room we're standing. (laughs) We just need to be delivered from that. And then for the people who say, well, I can't do that. I can't, you know, relieve myself of this shame. Then I say, well, then you know what? You throw the gift of the cross right back up to Jesus. I mean, right back up to God, because obviously that gift wasn't for you. And, Mm -hmm. And then when I say it that way, they say, but no, it was for everybody. Then it was for you too. So again, you have the keys. Let yourself out. Yeah, we um we're gonna take up an offering now. Y'all pull out your phones and, and cash app. Uh, <laughs> cash app the. Let me give y'all my cash app, though. <laughs> yeah. No, wow. thank, thank you so much. Y'all That's call my pastor. Work. Y'all call my pastor and tell him I just did the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> call your covering. She was preaching. I was preaching. Yeah, I mean, that's real. That's That's real. And it's, 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 I know I need to hear that personally. And I know, I know people who are listening to this need to hear that too. So thank you for that. Thank you. We just all have to accept that grace. And it's hard, right? Because in the natural, we feel like there should be a punishment for the crime all the time. Like that's the way we function in this world. Yeah. But in the spiritual, it's very different. Yeah. You know, does that mean that God doesn't punish us? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the self-punishment that we're putting on ourselves, that sounds a lot more like condemnation yeah. and not saying, hey, you know, I realize repentance is, I realized I did something wrong. God, I'm coming to you. I'm asking for your forgiveness and I want to walk a different way. Mm. Yeah. Woo. Woo, woo, woo. I'll be joining us about that later. Thank you very much. We are going to move on to the next question. So um, one of our listeners, a couple of our listeners actually, wanted to know, how do you cope with when one partner is high desire and one is low desire? Um, Whether that's one being the male, the female, whatever that is, just one person wanting to engage sexually more regularly and consistent and one person not really wanting to. How, How do you help in that situation? How can someone cope with that? So I think that comes with anything in a marriage, right? There's going to be someone who wants to do something one way and another person who wants to do it another way. And you have to meet somewhere in the middle. Mm. And sometimes that may look like you going all the way to the other person's side, right? And that doesn't mean for the person who is low desire, you just have to do it whenever they say do it because that's not fair. Yeah. But just realizing that there's balance in it, that there are times when one person is going to want it more and another person is going to want it less and just trying to meet somewhere in the middle of that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people come and they say, hey, Louise, what's the average amount of time that you're supposed to do it in a a week or whatever? Um, And they think, oh, well, I'm abnormal. And I've heard all kinds of numbers, right? We we do it (laughs) once a day and we feel like that's not enough. And then I've heard people say, yeah, we do it twice a day and that's not enough. And then I hear people who say, we do it once a month and that's not enough. 
And I hear people say, I got bills. I've heard people say we do it once a year and that's too much, right? So it's all over the place. It's all mm-hmm. over the map. And what I tell people is the two of you have to come up with your frequency and that can ebb and flow. So yeah. sometimes when people are pregnant, they feel a little more like they want to have a lot more sex. And then you have some people who are pregnant and they're like, I'm uncomfortable. Everything's out of place. Please don't touch me. Don't breathe on me. Don't even say hello. Yeah. Okay. Well, the husband and the wife need to come together and talk about that and figure out what is going to work for them. Mm-hmm. And is penetrative sex the only thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Because a lot of times you get yeah. so caught up on that. Um, that people just say, well, if we're not having penetrative sex, then we're not having sex. We're not sexual. And I beg to differ. Yeah. 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 Because if Kobe cheated on me and it wasn't penetrative, I wouldn't be like, oh, well, that didn't count. All right. That's right. I I would never. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I understand She would never. But yeah. So there are, you know, there, there's intimacy And then there's penetrative sex. So to me, sex is much bigger than just that. So when you talk about desire, you know, maybe someone does want to be intimate, but maybe they don't want to have penetrative sex. And then that's where the couple really needs to have a conversation. Because sometimes they may be on the same page with one another. And maybe the lower desired person may really have some relational things that are going on that they are afraid to talk about. So they're holding their bodies back because yeah. they're seeking for something more emotional in the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What are some of the ways that you can identify a healthy sex life with your partner? I think having that conversation and saying, Hey, do you think our sex life is sexual? So I'm the one that likes to state the obvious. Yeah. If we're having a problem, let's just talk about it. Like, there's no need of skirting around and, you know, dancing around the issue. Just put it out there. So do you think our, our sex life is is healthy? Do you feel like it's satisfying to you? Mm-hmm. Do, do you like these positions? Because sometimes when you really ask those types of questions, people will say, I really hated that position the whole time <laughs> we've been doing it. And that's the one position you do the most. Yeah. And it's like, well, why are we doing it? If yeah. you don't like it. Because we don't talk about it. We'll just sit there and just grin and bear it. And it's like, well, why? Why? Yeah, it's it's remarkable how poor communication is even in, I mean, in marriage. If if you're not a believer or believer, you would, regardless of how you feel, you would think that that would be the one place in which you would be talking about it the most. Yep. And and yet... um, like we've had to be really intentional and work about you know work to talk about it. It wasn't natural. Working, working, still <laughs> yeah. working. Yeah. Um, because it it can feel so vulnerable. vulnerable. <laughs> it's just like yeah, now which is crazy. It's like, what is this? You Do know, you two are becoming one. Are you kidding? Yeah. Like this is the closest you can get to yeah. someone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it it is so interesting because it, it really is hard to have such to ask such basic questions about something that is so intimate. It's mm-hmm. like, I don't want to say this out loud, but like that doesn't feel good. You know, like 
I don't want to hurt you. I don't. And then, so you kind of like just close up. And, and I know a common narrative that I have heard in Christian circles. And I don't know if this is something that you've dealt with or seen is often that like, there's kind of this implicit way that we communicate that sex is not for the woman. Mm. That like, it is for the man. And like, if, if, if a man has an orgasm in sex, then sex is complete. If the man does not have an orgasm in sex, then sex is incomplete. And the orgasm of the woman is just, who cares? <laughs> you know? And it just, it. I feel like so much of, I remember getting this terrible sex advice. Terrible sex advice. This That's the time I got I there. think I know which, oh God. Yeah. It was, I won't, I won't disclose who it was, but I got, when I say terrible, terrible. So they said, you know, make sure you never deprive your husband of sex. Even if you're tired, just roll over and let him do what he needs to do. Mm. And I was like, wow. And this was from a believer. This was from someone that I, w- I was, I was, I was dumbfounded. I was and like, they really thought they were putting you on, on game. Like, this yeah. is the way. Like, like this is how you're going to keep your marriage alive. And it was almost like you, you are for your husband's sexual pleasure. Your husband in no way is meant for your sexual pleasure as a woman and if you enjoy being sexually pleased as a christian woman then you are you know a jezebel you are just a dirty disgusting person and so i would love to hear your insight on people who deal with the shame that comes from like the purity culture that kind of perpetuates those type of notions yeah so i don't agree with that theology yeah Um, I think it does more damage than good, especially for, unfortunately, a lot of women who have dealt with any type of sexual trauma. You're basically telling her that her body is not her own all over again. Yeah. So whether she was violated by an adult, by, you know, a family member, friend, whatever, you know, or even date rape, I mean, you, a woman or even a man in this situation could feel like your body's not their their bodies weren't their own during the trauma. So now you're telling them, now that I'm in this loving relationship, your body is not your own. You just lay there and just let this person do whatever they're going to do to you. Yeah. Um I don't think that's what God intended. Yeah. I don't even think that's what was intended when this because I've heard um, someone say, well, um, something to the effect of if you would just do what the Bible says, then your husband wouldn't have to rape you or using those scriptures who say that the scriptures that actually say, you know, a husband and wife must not deny one another, um, other than a time of prayer and fasting. And so they use that to actually feed that argument. And I'm like, what came before that scripture? And what came after that scripture? And what was he really trying to say? And if God wants to be one with us, and we are supposed to be the bride, the church is supposed to be the bride, and God wants to be one with us, I don't think he just wants us to just roll over and just do whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think he wants us to be active participants in a relationship with him. Hence why we live this life. Hence why we try to understand Jesus and grace and understand the character of God and understand his sovereignty. Otherwise, why not just force us all to believe in God? 
yeah 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 that's that's poor biblical literacy there's a reason he he says that he knocks at the door right you yeah know? he don't bust through it yeah yeah <laughs> that is knocks. that's, and that's what wild. he wants right right and why would and that's be... not his character why would we even be interested or excited about an eternity with a God who, who's, with whom intimacy is no longer a choice? Like, that's mm. kind of like, there, there's some very clear language in scripture about our eternal life with God being one of a mutual giving love, not like this. We just worship at the throne. That will be something we do, but yeah. like, what a, what a horrible... Gosh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's, well, yeah, that's, know, we that's really sad always, to hear. Yeah, you know, we don't always get the best advice and we don't always give the best advice. So, you know, we we all are, you know, just sinners saved by grace. But that one, I don't, I, I that's not what I tell people to do, especially not females, especially not females who've been through sexual trauma. Like, it's not something that I say anyway, but especially not that group of women. Um, just because it just re-traumatizes them. Yep. Their husbands feel like they're rapists. They, their husbands feel like the person who actually, perp- the perpetrator. Um, and so I want to make sure that we don't do that. Like we're trying to heal that area of their yep. lives. Yeah, for sure. And then the other thing that I really put out there for couples is, you know, husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for it. And so if you're going to die for someone why would you die for someone that you totally want to violate? Mm. Yeah, okay. kind of weird. And there is that. I, I mean, to me, that. it just, it makes sense. It's like, well, why would you, you know, because people use that scripture too, to say you should submit to him. When he wants it, you give it to him. But if he wants it and he knows you don't want it, do you really think Christ would do that to you? Yeah. I'm just saying. Just saying. Yep. Yeah, I I um I mean, I'm privileged to to maybe not I have my own issues that are, are well documented. That's not one of mine. And so I don't necessarily understand it, but I'd love to to get your feedback on that narrative, maybe from what you've heard from men. Just the idea that there might be a man out there that doesn't see anything wrong with the idea of his wife just kind of laying there and waiting until it's over. Um, because to me, it's like, oh, yeah, you must want to rape people because that's the only. But that I recognize that's probably a foreclosed mindset. What is what is what's behind the veil on the relationship in which that is seen as like an OK thing? Is that common or is that really not necessarily that? something that you really see much of? So I always, I always hear men who want their wives to want it. Mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. more of a turn on for them. Like yeah. this woman wants me. She wants to rip my clothes off. She wants to be with me. She wants to be intimate with me. She wants me to achieve orgasm. She wants me to feel good. And I think that does something for the man. I do believe there's an element of or even a situation where some men are so deprived because of some issue 
whatever that issue is. Could be pain, could be cancer. That was another thing I'm, well, I think I brought it up. You know, radiation treatment, whatever, you know, and you're so deprived and you don't want to go somewhere else. And the, and the wife may be shut down for whatever reason, no judgment, but she may be shut down for whatever reason. And then you feel like, what am I going to do? I'm about to explode here. Hmm. And so then I think there are some men who do fall into that category as well. And I think that begs for some type of conversation to try to come to the middle to have a discussion about how can we deal with this? Yeah. Because yeah. you don't want that one person being so sexually frustrated that they're not getting their needs met, but you also don't want to force someone in a situation that they don't need to be in either. Yeah. And there are ways around that. Like we can be creative. We can think out of the box. Again, penetration is not always the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I realize everybody's like, yes, that's the goal. Like this is going to be good. It's going to be great. Okay. Yeah. Great. Fine. But there's plenty of other things you can do. Yeah. And I think people forget about that. Mm-hmm. So honestly, I think the majority of the men want their wives to want it. Yeah. Gotcha. But I do feel like there's a group of men out there that are really, they can get really, really frustrated because they're not getting their physical needs met. And it's not because I think they're like sex crazed or crazy or whatever. I think, you know, they could just be that deprived and they don't know what to do with that. Mm. And I say, get help. Come, come see a sex therapist. It doesn't have to be me. I don't care. You can come see me, come see, <laughs> go see somebody else. Just go see somebody. And have that conversation so that you can come to a good place in your relationship. What does healing look like for someone who feels deprived? And even when they compromise with their partner, they still feel deprived. Even when they come to that, like that middle number, that one Mm -hmm. person with a high desire still feels like this is not even scraping the bottom of the barrel for me. Mm -hmm. So that's a hard one because normally if there's a why, like why are we not where we want to be, they usually agree on that they're not where they want to be, but they may not agree on the why. So let's say, for example, the woman has an undiagnosed pain disorder. Mm. And maybe the husband's like, I really want to be with you, but she keeps pushing away, right? No, I don't want to do it because it hurts. Yeah. And so in that situation, you know, there's a lot of work that has to be done there. And so healing is, healing could really look like, oh my gosh, we just found a diagnosis. Now we have a treatment plan and we know we can overcome this. Mm. because then there's then there's purpose for the pain yeah yeah there's purpose for the pain of being rejected and I don't mean just physical pain but even for the partner who's not experiencing the pain there's purpose for the rejection or the turn downs or whatever has happened over all that time there's purpose for it now in the situation where there isn't that situation then it makes me wonder you know are we just not looking at this and really realizing that the sexual person that I am and the sexual person that this person is, that they just don't align. And sometimes you just have to agree to disagree. Mm. Woo. And that's hard when you've already walked down the aisle and said, I do. Well, but even that, because life circumstances could change your whole sexual being in a flash. 
Yeah. If you were to, God forbid, become a paraplegic and you can't perform in that way anymore, then what do you do? You just divorce the person because you have this high sexual drive? Or do you take that empty jar that you think is so empty, your intimacy possibility jar, that's the way I'll call it, you know, do you just say it's going to be empty for the rest of my life? Or do you try to put some things in there and fill it up with some new things and new possibilities mm-hmm. that can enhance your intimate life? Yeah. Well, it's a great perspective, actually. Yeah. yeah. I, I think so that... I, I used to speak to the uh, Buddy Kemp Center. It's a cancer center, the cancer treatment center here in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And um, I've seen people who are cancer survivors, people who are in treatment, um, men and women. So this is all types of cancer, breast cancer, you know, prostate cancer, whatever. And one of the things that I have them do is I'll get an empty jar and you can get these from Dollar Tree and we get little slips of paper. And I say, you know, a lot of times you hold this empty jar and you say to yourself, this is all that I've lost. I have nothing else left. The only thing I'm doing is I'm fighting for my life. Mm. And let's say, you know, you're in a situation where cancer recovery and you're going to be a survivor, right? Everything is going to be okay. You just got to get through treatment. Well, if you continue to look at that jar and you keep saying, there's nothing here, I'm never going to have a sex life again. Mm. And maybe you don't have breasts anymore. Maybe you had to have a double mastectomy. Um, Maybe you have lost the nerve endings in your clitoris, or maybe, you know, you have vaginal atrophy and and things are painful for you there. Mm -hmm. Are we to say that because those particular things don't work now that you can never be intimate or sexual with your partner? I would say no. Because there's so many possibilities. And so I have them jot down things that they can do. So take your empty jar and we're going to start to fill that up. What can you do? Let's not so much focus on what you can't do. My clitoris doesn't work. I don't have breasts anymore. We can work on that. We can talk about it. We're not going to throw that out the window because that's a part of your experience and your trauma and your pain. And we can deal with that. But we are going to look forward into the future. And we're going to say, what can you do? Yeah developing that hope yes absolutely um yeah it sounds like what what you're saying um dr bishop evangelist over is um don't you go and superintendent. get superintendent yeah superintendent <laughs> don't you go and make covenant with someone just because you'd like to have sex with them wow. because yeah. the covenant is much more than that and, and obviously it's easy it's so much easier to say that when you're married because everyone who gets married thinks it's going to be a certain way. And then everyone who's ever been married recognizes very quickly. It's not, it's not yeah. right. And it's probably going to be better in many ways than you thought, mm-hmm. because God knows what you need. Um, and you only know what you want. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, this is, we love having this conversation because we recognize that culture very often makes mm-hmm. marriage and relationship in general, a very selfish thing. Yeah. It's like, well, yes, there are some relationships that may just be selfish, but marriage is certainly not one of them. And you're right. Life situations can change. And the covenant that you made stays the same. And and hopefully there's more there than just a sex drive, not to demean what sex means, because it's super important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But hopefully there's more to my love for Kobe than the idea that we have sex twice a day every day, which we don't because I got bills. 
I don't I don't know who's out here having good for y'all. I got I got stuff. Y'all have kids. Y'all I have kids. Have kids. We we got a whole set of bills to pay. I I don't, I don't There's know. nothing that kills the mood like mama. <laughs> mama, dinosaurs, baby shark. Yeah, that baby shark song is not the soundtrack for love making. It is not. It is not at all. Listen, sometimes, you know, it can, if you put on the same video over and over again for your kid and you can hear it in the background as you're being aroused or being stimulated, like let's say you did Baby Shark over and over again, some people have found that when they hear that song again, because your brain gets programmed that way, they get a turn on. And it's not weird because they're not turned on about the, the song. Yeah. It's just that when they heard the song, it yeah. took them back to what they were doing behind the closed door. And Ooh, by yes. the way, <laughs> it took me back. By the way, this is for my parents. This is just for everybody who has a kid. I, I've spoken to so many moms groups and they say, well, what are you supposed to do when you want to get a little frisky and your kids are awake or whatever, or at night, you know, what do you do? I'm so afraid that the kids are going to walk in. You know what? Invest in a lock. Mm. Lock your door. And so a lot of so a lot of women will say, Oh my gosh, I could never. I didn't say keep it locked all night, but you yeah. might want to lock it because that child is gonna be back in my office in 20 more years talking about I was traumatized when I walked in on mom and my daddy. <laughs> so let's just get let's just help everybody in that situation. Buy a lock or lock your door. Deal. I'm just saying. Like and the, the church said amen. And the yeah. church said amen. Amen. <laughs> May uh, the Lord watch. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I love black people. <laughs> the next question that we have are what are some of the common misconceptions that Christians have about sex that you see um, in your practice? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um before marriage, you're told, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then all of a sudden you say, I do. And automatically you're supposed to know everything about sex on your honeymoon night and it's supposed to be great. Yeah. Um, I wish we'd stop telling people that. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a lot of people who, that's when they find out they do have some type of sexual pain disorder. And it's like, but wait, what? You didn't, you didn't like that? No, I didn't. It hurt. Um, but you never know because you're saving yourself for marriage, which mm -hmm. is totally fine. I'm just saying, like, that's when people find out. Um, another thing is, I think we talked about it, which is, you know, it is the woman is here for the man's pleasure. Mm -hmm. As if a woman doesn't have a clitoris and she has no ability to have an orgasm. So right. why did God create a clitoris? I, 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 I'm asking some of these people, like, why did God create a clitoris? Why... Yeah. Did he create a G-spot for people? You know, why is that there for people? Um, for these women that you say, they're only here for the man's pleasure. Um, so I think they misconstrue that that scripture that says, you know, the husbands and wives shouldn't deny each other. A lot of times they turn that around and they say, no, the wife is never to deny her husband. They, they don't talk about this mutual thing that is actually written there. They only talk about it one way. So that's, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, and then 
I think the whole submissive thing, um, being more subservient to your husband, you know, not realizing that Christ laid down his life for the church and he, you know, gave up everything, you know, went through a lot of pain and anguish um, for the church. So what are husbands supposed to do for their wives? Like, what, what do you need to go through? Yeah. Um, you're, you have a huge mantle on your life. Yeah. as a priest, as a prophet of your home, as the protector of your home. I'm grateful I don't have to carry the mantle because I'm not the husband, Yeah. right? And so I think sometimes people come in with this, you know, you just need to do what I say because I am the man. And I, I'm not saying everybody has that belief, but I do believe some people do. And so they bring that into the bedroom and I, I you know, see people get re-traumatized because of those types of things. Um, that God is not okay with sex. That's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was his idea. I, I've heard before the idea that like, like sex is God's way of letting us have sinful release. Like, like we are like, we are such depraved human beings in our full holiness. We would be non-sexual, but because God loves us, he allows us to have sex so that we can have like this place for us to this be carve sinful. Out. Yeah. Yeah. And where was that scripture? Did you ask them what scripture? <laughs> I didn't what even put that in. Jason, I said bloop. Listen, it's been a dumb week, but that might be the dumbest thing. Right? <laughs> yeah, I was like bloop and X. So I don't get on Facebook no more. People are crazy. You know, it, it, it really is like this weird idea, like you said, that like God doesn't want you to have sex. And even also it makes me think about people who put their identity in their virginity. Yeah. And yes. that cannot cannot have sex, cannot freely engage. Um, I don't want to say freely. I cannot joyfully engage in sex without feeling like they're losing a sense of superiority over other people. Absolutely, that's huge. That is huge, because mm -hmm. you have a license, you got the passport, you pass TSA checkpoint, everything yeah. you said to do, and you're like, I can't get on that plane. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Can't get on that one. Can't fly. I'm just gonna stay right here. Mm. <laughs> what are some of the emotional things? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, what are some of the emotional things that people kind of have to work through to be able to let that go? Well, I think shame is big. You know, yeah. Letting go of that shame and doing work around that. I love um, Brene Brown and a lot of her research behind shame and vulnerability. And um, there's other books that I could probably name, but but just learning how to deal with that shame. And again, you know, you have the keys to let yourself out of jail, you yeah. know, and this is not a jail. In that situation, you've done nothing wrong. You got thrown into jail for no purpose other than being prideful. Yeah. Mm. That pride will lock you up. Yes, it will. It comes before the fall. So, you know, some people can get to that place where they feel like, oh, well, this is the one thing that makes me better than everybody else. And so let me have a respect of my person, which God has no respect of person. So it doesn't yeah. matter whether or not you did that or not. You know, think about that parable of the person who worked all day, half the day and worked in the last. So everybody got paid in the end and the person who worked all day, they're like, wait, what a minute. I, I worked all day. Heavier. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I have a question. I'm raising my hand. <laughs> I have a question. He's raising his hand. Um, and I'm really asking this question. I want to give the disclaimer because the, this is one of those things that um, all the males listening will be like, oh, yeah, what is what is going on there? And then, but maybe um, folks that don't have that perspective will be like, that's not a thing. But I'm at work. I work in corporate America and I've worked at a few different places and I've never had a job where married men have not congregated and like come together over the shared experience of feeling like their wives weaponize sex to manipulate them to get things done. Mm -hmm. Now I'm very open. I'm, I want to say it right now in case you don't, I manipulate me, you know, like I would like to be, um, if there's a chart, if there, if it's like if you do this three times, I'll do this one time. Let me know. I'm down with being said manipulated I'm not that way. Challenge. Um, but we—that's not really nice. that doesn't happen in our relationship. But I recognize that my relationship is rare in that way, at least in the in the rooms that I I hear the conversations in. So I wanted to know from your perspective, like how often does that? I don't know how true it is. I just know that it is a felt reality amongst call it all men over 40 that I've met. Um, speak on that. <laughs> so I hate to answer a question with a question, but I'm going to go there. Mm -hmm. Why do you feel like your relationship doesn't exist in that world? Like what, what makes your relationship so different? So I would say our relationship is different in that in the way that folks, other folks talk about it, they speak out, speak about it with some sort of bitterness. Like it, like it wasn't part of the transaction of relationship. I'm a pretty, I'm a political creature. I'm also, I would say a realist. And I fully expect that if I don't do the things my wife wants, she's not going to want to be intimate with me for a bunch of emotional reasons. And also just logistic. Like I have a, I have a responsibility to her. It's not just like we're, I maybe not, I didn't used to think that way, <laughs> but I've come to learn I have a real responsibility. And also if I feel like I'm doing the things that she's asked of me, she has a responsibility. And so I wouldn't say that there is no manipulation. I would just say that the yeah, ne negative undertones good. of like what other people have expressed, I don't feel. Cause I feel like the calculus is real clear. Like, Kobe's been very clear. If the house looks a certain way, she can't get there. And so if I want to get her there, maybe I... Now, I should be cleaning the house all the time. But because it's me, you, and and it's just us three, I'm more likely to start cleaning up a day or two in advance. I'm I'm padding my stats, Right. And obviously, it should not just be that. There are other reasons. I, we're pregnant right now, so that may mean, you know, she may want to have sex 10 times in one day or not at all. Um, and I've got to be okay with either one of those, but I still need to be cleaning and helping. But it's, so I would say we exist in that sphere, but I'm not, I don't have any bitterness about it. In fact, I would love more concrete calculations so I can try and optimize. Oh, God. So I think that what you said the language you used for me was helpful when you said she can't get there instead of she won't get there. Yeah. Because I think sometimes the idea 
is like, because I've heard the same type of notion. It's funny because when I speak to uh, my peers of women, it's, I, I really want to be intimate, but I don't know how to be intimate when I feel like you leaving dirty dishes under the bed. Like, I don't know how to feel open and free with someone who's letting spaghetti dry out under the pillow. You know what I mean? And so I think it's really important. Like, I appreciate you using that she can't get there instead of she won't. Because I think for many women, uh, not all, but for many women, the felt reality is I like, I don't know how to feel relaxed like I don't know how to my brain to not think about the fact that you just really made me angry or that I felt really overwhelmed today because you didn't help me like I don't know how to get out of that brain space and be present with you Mm -hmm. and reach your orgasm and find pleasure in helping you reach your orgasm when all this stuff is swirling around my head but on the other hand I also have heard men voice that they think we can, we just won't. Yeah. And and oh, I'll say one more they, thing. They in the background. I'm sorry, what'd you say? I said all with baby shark playing in the background. Yeah. All with baby, baby shark. Doo, 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 doo. And I'll say <laughs> one more thing and then let you respond because to be candid, I've not always been at this place. There was a time early in our relationship where I genuinely felt like Oh dang! You trying to play a player? I know what you're doing. <laughs> like you really, you're really trying to use. You're this. trying to use this, and it was really because, because I did not have a value for the reality of emotions in my own life and own heart. I didn't think emotions affected anything. I always felt emotions were just things that people use to get things they want. My mom got out of a speeding ticket by crying, so you cry when you need to get something, right? Like and. <laughs> And obviously, and because I was so emotionally foreclosed internally, had all my shame issues and all the stuff, and I went to therapy and am going to it for it. But because my relationship with emotions was transactional, I have an emotion to get a specific response. I felt I I implied that on her. I imputed that to her. So it was like, oh well, no, there's no way your emotions could make you not horny. That's not a thing. (laughs) <laughs> and I, it was, and so I just did not believe her because yeah. I had so devalued my emotions. I had convinced myself that they didn't have value. And so it's like, oh, okay, you're sad or you're upset. And that happened two weeks ago. Like, you still upset, really? Like, come on, bro. You ate, you know? And I thought it was just like food. I was like, oh, if I could eat a meal or if I could have sex, I'd eat like, if I had to exchange them, I could go without for a few days. You know, go without eating a meal. And so I was like, oh, well, you haven't eaten in two weeks. And you're telling me, like, it's because you feel a certain way. Like, that's crazy. If someone said they wouldn't, you know, they didn't want to eat breakfast because their feelings were hurt. We'd look at them like they're dumb. Mm. And so, like, that's where I used to be. I'm not there anymore. But to be candid, I'm, you know, I'm only, I'm a little further than maybe some others. But we come from the same place. So I think it's beautiful because I I knew you guys would answer in the way I would answer. And so as you were talking, I was over here taking some notes. Number one, of course, I'm a total therapist. Number one, why did you change? You changed because you were open. You were open to the influence of your wife. 
you are open to the influence of learning more about a deeper, meaningful relationship, and you have desire for her physically, emotionally, intellectually. You want to know this woman and you want to be one with her on so many levels. So you are open. And I feel like you both are open because you both talked about that, like understanding where the other person is coming from. And you truly have a desire to fulfill the needs of your partner. I hear that. I hear, I want to give him something. I want to give her. If she wants the house to be clean and me to get that plate from under the, under the bed, I'm going to get the plate from under the bed because I want to please her. Yeah. Not just for sex, but you want to please her so that she's comfortable, so she feels good in her own home. It's not about, okay, you check this box and then I got it. It's not transactional. It's because yeah. at the core, you want to fulfill the needs of the other person. Another thing that you guys said was, I'm okay with either. If she wants to do it once, I'm good. If she wants to do it 10 times, I'm good. If she wants to do it not at all, I'm good. You know why? Because you're comfortable and the foundation is solid that we have a relationship that I know that I know that she is in this with me. He is in this with me. There is nothing that is going to come in between those two. And so because I know that I'm okay with either. I, my, my feelings may be a little hurt, right? Because I can't have what I want right now, but it doesn't kill my whole relationship because of it. Yeah. It's sort of like being on a team, right? Your teammate might do something stupid and you might not like them very much in the middle of the football game because they ran the wrong route and I threw the ball exactly where it was supposed to be in the football game and you ran right and I threw it to the left. Okay, well, I'm ticked off at you, but still, we're here to win the game. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We are here to win the game. And one of the biggest things is what I call API. I use it at work. I use it with couples. I use it everywhere. And that is assume positive intent. Stop mm -hmm. assuming that the other person is your enemy. So mm -hmm. I'll use a football analogy right here. If we're offense, let's be offense together. And if we're defense, let's be defense together. Yeah. But I don't need you on the defense and I'm on the offense. Yeah. Like we need to be on the same side of the field at the same time, because remember, we're fighting the enemy together. Yeah. So if, we are, if you're on defense and I'm on offense, then we're obviously on opposite teams. We need to be on the same team. So that means I need to assume that you're on my side. Assume yeah. positive intent. Yeah. You guys have it. It sounds like you guys are very solid in it. Doesn't mean that your relationship is perfect because I know nobody's relationship is perfect. <laughs> and we all are works in progress, even almost 20 years in for myself. We're still a work in progress. We have to continue to work and grow at this thing to make it better and better every day. And so those are some wonderful things. And that's the way I would answer um, that question. You guys didn't need me for that one. Yes, we did. We did need <laughs> I would love for you to share some tips on how to um, effectively negotiate with your partner when it comes to sex. So full transparency, I think one thing that has made me feel very comfortable with Kyle as my husband has been, he all will say, hey, are you in the mood? Do you want to have sex tonight? And I'll say, hey, I'm really tired. I'm not willing to do this, but can we do this instead? But that language for me came from me going to therapy and me learning how to 
utilize that principle outside of a sexual relationship, if that makes sense. Like when it comes to friendships, when it comes to my parents, when it comes to in-laws, all of that being able to set a boundary, stick, stand behind what I'm feeling in the moment, but then say, but I am willing to do this. Because I think sometimes the intensity of the vulnerability of sex and sexual interaction can make you just want to say yes or no, you know, instead of negotiating and saying uh, no, but with this or yes, but with this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you're you're totally right. And I think yes and no, those are two answers, but there could be so many other in-betweens, right? Yeah. And so there even can be more extreme yeses and more extreme noes, like a heck no or a heck yes, you know. <laughs> um, and then there's a whole gamut of what you can do, right? So, yeah. so if you think about even time frame of sex, like you could have the quickie and you could have the 20 course meal type of sex too and everything in between. And so maybe maybe you don't have enough time for one or the other. And so you you say that. I think a lot of it is just, saying what you want, saying what your desire is, and not just saying a no. I used to hate it when my parents used to say, I said, can I go to so-and-so's house? And they just say no. And I'd be like, but why? You know, yep. and for, for the <laughs> yeah. average uh, black child, that would get mm-hmm. you knocked through a wall, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. don't ask me why, because I said so. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes we treat our spouses the same way, wow. but we're not the parent in that situation. Uh-huh. You're my partner. And so if you're my partner, then there's a little bit of a different tra- a different type of conversation that needs to happen. So you say, you know, no, I'm not really feeling that tonight. Yeah. Um, can I get a rain check? Yeah. Uh, John Gottman talked about that, like getting a rain check for sex. Uh, can I get a rain check? It could be a physical rain check or a mental one, right? You could write a little paper like I owe you. Yeah. Um, the other part is, just like what you said, like, you know, I'm not physically feeling or emotionally feeling that, but maybe we could do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and feeling open enough to be able to say no, wholeheartedly no, and wholeheartedly yes. Yeah. The problem comes in when you want to say, when you're saying yes, when you really don't want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. now we're bitter and we're mad because I really didn't want to do it from the beginning. And if it's not good, then you're really going to be bad. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. I said yes to you thinking it was going to be good and it wasn't good. And that was <laughs> I said yes to you. Because I really didn't want to do it from the beginning and my neck is rolling and I'm aggravated now because you're wasting my time. Yep. Another thing, <laughs> another thing could be um, a friend of mine that I used to actually work for, she wrote a book called Kiss and Tell. She is an OBGYN in West Palm Beach, Florida. And she said in her book, you know, a lot of times people say women don't like sex. And she did this big research study with someone else and she found out women do like sex. They just don't like the sex they're having. And they're ashamed to say that they want to have sex because of maybe religious reasons, whatever, or it's taboo. Women are not supposed to like sex. That's why people look at Cardi B a little crazy because it's like she just kind of out there with it. And that whole song just really threw us off or loop, right? Yeah. Um, and so in the car alone, like, mm, da, mm, 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 mm. I know every word beeped out. <laughs> Because <laughs> you can't yep. sing none of the words uh, without a lot of censorship. My son said, you just press the, the censor button and just hold it. 
But the point is, is that women are usually not allowed to be sexually free and be okay with that. And especially not in Christian circles because you don't want to be the sex pot, right? Um, But the truth of the matter is women do enjoy sexuality and we should embrace that and understand that that is okay. Um, And one of the things that she said in her book about it was sometimes when your husband comes to you and he says, hey, hey, I'm in the mood, I really want to do this, and you're not in the mood, your response should be, I'm not in the mood, but try to convince me. Something ran up my leg when you said that. Oh, like, okay. Look at here. And I know it ran up his leg because he's been up for the challenge <laughs> since the beginning of the call. He's like, look, give me a list. I'll check it up. I'm gonna yeah. win this game. Yeah. <laughs> no, and that's that, that's cool. That's so that's powerful because cool. I think that on top of like sex always being like this yes, no, good, bad, super foreclosed thing in Christian circles and Christian, you know, culture, I think that we also don't know how to talk about exploration. We don't know how to talk about like consensual sexual exploration with our partners without it being like weird. Yeah. Cause you're a freak, right? Yeah. You're a freak. If you bring up something that is like, Oh wait, what? Yeah. Um, and, and so I always have to put this caveat out there because, you know, there's all kind of sexual stuff that people get into now. I'm not even going to start to name things, but, you know, when it starts involving other people and you're a Christian and that's not your belief, then you know what? Let's not do that, right? Yeah. Let's just, just not. Now, some people believe that and that's their thing, but I'm talking about for the people who this is not their belief system and, you know, just stick with who you got. But everything else, you know, that you want to do, I think, again, open dialogue with your partner to talk about what is okay for us. You know, what's, what's in the, yeah, I could do that. Or the, hmm, we've never tried that before, but I'm interested in that. And then what I call the heck no, it doesn't go there category. And I've actually had that conversation with couples before. Like, what could you do today? If I told you to go home, give me a list of all the things you could do today. And so we list all those things out. And then we talk about the things that you're like, hmm, you know, never did that before, but I might be kind of interested, you know, and I'll put that on the list because I might be willing to try it, but not today, but maybe one day. But then there's <laughs> the heck no, that doesn't go there category. Like, yeah. no, you're not putting that there. Yeah. No, you're not inviting somebody else. No, we're not going to this place to do it in front of the camera. Like, you know, people have some boundaries and you need to be honest with your partner and say, that's not okay. That's in the heck no category. I'm not doing it. Yeah. 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 But, and this is just me thinking out loud for people who do have this belief system and have no conceptualization of like, I'm talking about people who have no understanding of sexuality. How do you even know what the possibilities or the options are? Like, is that something you would talk about in sex therapy? Is that something you talk about with a uh, uh, sexual pain therapy uh, physician? I'm trying to find the right words. I'm trying to make sure I'm using the right words. But like, for some people, they're just like, I don't, I don't even know what the options are. Yeah. Because in my head, sex is something that I, I could not even think about with shame. Yeah. It's not something yeah. you normally ask your your first lady. Like, what well, what positions can I do? You know? Let yeah. me call my first lady right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> what was that thing you told me to do? Don't be like, what? <laughs> or your mama. You don't want to call your mama. I can't even think about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yes, that's, that is something that we talk about in sex therapy. You know, what is okay? What is not okay? Um, and I actually do that activity that I was talking about, you know, and we put post-it notes up on my wall and they take a picture of it and they take it home. And a lot of times what they do is they add things to the list or they move things around on the list. And sometimes things move and shift and change and, hey, we tried that and now that goes in the heck no, because that didn't feel good. And that's okay. Yeah. Because you decided it, you define what that sexual yeah. life looks like. And that's what's really key is that we don't try to prescribe somebody else's medication to our sex life because mm. it might not work for you. That might make you sick. <laughs> you don't go to somebody else's medicine cabinet and take something that is prescribed for them. Yeah, wow. absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Can we keep her? Yes, we can. Um, <laughs> we, you've gained uh, two new uh, children two or new besties. I'm not sure which ones. Whichever ones work for you. We'll be your children or we'll be your maids. Uh, just know we're moving it. <laughs> yeah. Come on up. <laughs> one of the things we've been talking about throughout this series um, has been around porn and masturbation and specifically addiction and more specifically my addiction and my journey through that, and just trying to be transparent about that. One of the things that I have noticed, um, and which has caused me to kind of form a hypothesis, which I really don't know what to do with it, is regarding my libido. I've noticed that the more healthy I've become, the lower my sex drive has been. And I have no idea, I, I would, I think it's normal, right? Because it's our normal now. Um, but I have no idea if that means that men in general are over-sexualized, like are overstimulated in the sense of having access to what is historically an intimate act wherever you go at any time you want has maybe created a, a baseline that is truly not normal like forget like what's normal for you, but just like generally not normal or maybe it's just a me thing. Cause I find myself talking to friends who are struggling with like intimacy with their partners. And in my head, I'm like, I, I kind of feel like you're a little overstimulated. I think you're, I think you're asking too much. And I, I keep meeting men, especially those who have issues with, with porn and addiction and I find myself thinking, like, I th I think maybe you're a little, you've gone too far. Like, and your expectation is not natural. And and so I, I don't I don't know. What are your thoughts on how porn and addiction, specifically and masturbation, how that affects like uh, desire in a relationship, intimacy. and and intimacy, yeah. and and just kind of your general overview? Because I'm sure it comes up in your line of work. Yeah, it, it does. And I don't um, treat addictions, sexual addictions, but I definitely refer out for it um, because it does show up quite a bit. And it shows up a lot more in Christian circles because it's the one thing you can kind of do 
you know, it's right there. It's, yeah. you know, you just click yeah. a few buttons and you're there. And you could do it, you know, just by looking and nobody else has to know. So it's kind of a secret. Um, so it's become so accessible now. You don't have to go to the Blockbuster and get a video and be embarrassed. Um, and so I do believe that um, a lot of times the addictions thing has to do with a lack of intimacy or a lack of being able to be intimate and vulnerable with your partner. So the closest person um, to you right now is your wife, right? And people will find that even in addictions, they can be intimate um, physically, just physically with a whole bunch of people. Yeah. But boy, when they come back to where they're emotionally invested, that's where they have to cut it off. Like it's too close. You know, it's very difficult to really be open and honest. Yeah. I remember years ago, I read that book, He Motions by T.D. Jakes. And it talked about how a lot of men are taught not to be vulnerable, not to be open with emotions, not to feel emotions. And so if I can stuff those away, then I don't have to deal with my stuff, you know? And so if I can hide it by getting involved in some type of addiction like that, I never have to worry about anybody getting too close to me and seeing the real me. Mm. Yeah. And so that's, that's one big thing there. The other thing is, is I remember some years ago, I went to a conference, a sexual medicine conference, and they were talking about the research that they're doing on how the brain is being changed because of pornography. Yeah. Um, and so being overly involved in that and watching it over and over again, it's sort of, we were talking about Fortnite earlier yeah. um, and Fortnite is not, you know, it's not pornography, but one of the things that they talk about with some of those games is how it's actually built to keep you coming back over and over and over again. So there's psychology and there's research done behind how can we get these kids so invested in this game that they can't get away from it? Wow. So the same thing applies with porn. You know, they are putting it out there in a way that makes it so easy for you to just sit there and just keep clicking over and over and over again. And then you just keep getting stimulated. And because of that stimulation, remember I talked about Baby Shark? Yeah. That's what gets programmed in your brain that you have to see that in order for your body to work. So mm -hmm. then... If you have enough of it, then your body won't work like it's supposed to unless it has the stimuli. Mm. So we have to be really careful about that. So if it's something that you already know that you're struggling with, then, you know, get help because after a while you'll find out, well, I don't want to do that anymore. And then you're like, wait, it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and so... I mean, that's the one thing. I think it's really about an intimacy thing and vulnerability and being able to really, you know, take off the mask and just be seen and be okay with being seen 100%. Um, and so I think that's hard for a lot of men. I really do. Um, because society, families, culture have all, you know, basically said, you keep your emotions to yourself. You don't really share that with anybody and you can hide behind the, the phone, the whatever. So it's almost like you don't have to learn how to develop emotional regulation because the porn is your emotional regulation. Yeah. 
you know. And it's an escape. I mean, some people use it as a coping mechanism. Yeah. You know, they're trying to get away from the chaos of their life. Yeah. And God knows COVID has probably sent that through the roof because everybody's like right there, you know, and access. Yeah, absolutely. So one of our next questions from one of our listeners is how do you deal with performance anxiety in sex as someone who already has a pre-existing anxiety disorder? Mm. Is it treated? It's a good question. They did not share that. <laughs> but it seems like um, it's so I'm going to answer that question differently for a man and a woman. Okay. Um, because for men who suffer with anxiety, some of them can suffer with premature ejaculation um, and performance anxiety. So then, you know, I would start to work on that anxiety piece, also working with them and the partner to help them, you know, understand, okay, this is your reality right now, but let's try to work through that and let's find ways physiologically to deal with that. Um, especially if it's a premature ejaculation case. And then let's also talk about the psychology behind that and being okay. Now, usually there's a lot of shame that comes with that, especially if it's a man and it's not functioning the way they want it to. And they feel very uncomfortable, you know, being with somebody. And to be honest, some, some women, like we are bad with our mouths sometimes and we could just say some horrible stuff like, really, that's it, you know? <laughs> and so you say something like that to a man and he's okay. just like crushed, you know? Yeah. And that sticks. It sticks with them. That's traumatic. Oh. And so, yeah, there, there's the performance anxiety all over again. It goes through the roof. So I would, you know, really try to treat the anxiety and then work with the couple to talk about how can we pour into slowing things down, finding other ways to let you know that your, your intimate relationship with each other is okay. And you don't need to perform because you're already okay. Yeah. And you can enhance that as time goes. Um, for the woman, mm -hmm. again, would treat the anxiety for sure and do what I needed to do there. But then on top of that, I think just teaching some good coping skills, um, for her to be able to relax and um, understand. And then just knowledge, um, knowledge of what you want to do and what you want to accomplish. And just talking about that, like, what would that look like? What skill sets are you trying to build? Um, let's talk about that. And there's books, you know, even Christian books that are out there that can help with some of that. Wow, and that's something that they would work on with a sex therapist like you. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, so this is going to be our last question for part one. Um, what are the, I, I'm very serious. This is just part one. Um, what are the most common sexual dysfunctions that affect sexual satisfaction? Mm, um, so nerve damage, uh, lack of hormones, uh, and that's mostly because of the pain. Um, uh, dryness for a woman, um, premature ejaculation, um, it can be very dissatisfying for a couple because the guy wants to go longer, the woman wants him to go longer, and everybody's just frustrated. Mm -hmm. 
erectile dysfunction, meaning not being able to get a firm enough erection, um, and not being able to talk about what you like and what you don't like. Yeah, lack of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. That's big because, you know, your husband could be doing something all the time and you're faking the funk and, oh, honey, that feels great. And it really doesn't feel great. And so you're really left unsatisfied, but everybody thinks that everybody's satisfied and yeah. you're not. So I think those are the things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Faye, do you have anything else you want to add? No, man. I I think we, gosh, we, we got through a lot. Yes, got through a lot. Thank you guys so much for tuning in with us. Louise, can you share a little bit about how people can reach you, how they can get in contact with you if they do want to have you come speak to a small group or to a church or even become a client of yours? Absolutely. So my email is louise, L-O-U-I-S-E, at brightcares, and that's with an S at the end, dot com. So Louise at brightcares.com and our website is brightcares.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Louise is based here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah, Queen City. Yes. So she is local to us. You guys, if you have questions, concerns, reach out to her. I mean, don't bombard her, but (laughs) reach out to her. She's a great resource. Louise, thank you so much for joining us. And you guys stay tuned for a short part two. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. It means the world to us. If you guys didn't know, we just reached the top 200 mental health podcasts in the U.S. and we want to keep pushing. So make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. Also, join our Patreon. It's $10 a month. You get mental health resources from a licensed trauma therapist. I mean, it's pretty amazing. It's an amazing family, so join the inner circle. Plus... We dropped our merch. It's been a crazy time and the slogan, protect your peace, has never meant more. So grab your t-shirt, hoodie, or crew neck when you get the chance and we'll see you guys next time. Bye.